here's the schedule today. Game four of the National League Championship Series will go at 8 o'clock Eastern. The Braves will be looking to take a three-game-to-one lead in that series. Julio Arias will be on the mound for the Atlanta Braves. The ALCS Game 4 goes tonight at 5.08. So my guess is, Kevin, by the time the ALCS is over, we'll probably be, <laughs> well, we'll still probably be only halfway through the first inning of the uh, of the NLCS. But the ALCS Game 5 goes tonight. It'll be Chris Sale on the mound for the Red Sox, Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros. You know that's never going to change. Valdez. Sorry, sorry, the time, the timing of these games never going to change. No, no, me, no, me and you've been never. talking about that forever. You know, the, the the Dodgers and and Braves used the combined fourteen pitchers yesterday. Like it's not, it's just, it's never going to change. It's it's these managers would rather make the move than not make the move, and and they don't really care how long the game goes as long as they're winning. Yeah, I, I know that Buster Olney of ESPN. We're going to talk about an article he wrote on free agent shortstops in a minute, but Buster Olney made a point yesterday on social media that he thinks that at some point during CBA talks, or at some point, maybe not during CBA talks, but at some point the Players Association and the commissioner's office, that there, there has to be a, a sit-down with everybody and a serious discussion needs to be had about all these pitching moves and about the length of games. Now, I've thought about this. You've already put a rule in place that says you have to face a minimum of three batters. I don't think that rule's working, frankly. Uh, it doesn't appear to have helped speed up the games. The only thing that's going to speed up the games, I think, are the automated strike zone and, uh, you know, maybe, well, enforcing a pitch clock obviously will help to do it. I don't know about the shift. That that I, to me that's a different that's a different that's a different matter. That's more about it. action than that is time, pace of uh, yeah, t- but timing. I, I'm not you know I'm not in favor of. I don't think you need a meeting. What are you going to do? What are you going to do next? You're going to say you can only okay. use five pitchers a game. I I think the thing is simple. You know, if it's no. me, if it's me, Kevin, what you do is you put a rule in place that you cannot use a pitcher in the postseason outside of his role in the regular season. In other words, mm. if I want to use Max Scherzer out of the bullpen in the regular in the postseason, I have to have used him out of the bullpen at least twice in the regular season. Conversely, if I want to start, if I want to use Corey Knable as my uh, as an opener in the postseason, I have to have used him as a starter. And I'm just throwing twice out there. Pick pick a number, two or three times <clears throat> during the regular season. That's the only thing I see. That's the only thing I see yeah. because you can't you can't effectively what we have now is. We've increased the number of relievers in postseason games because managers are using starting pitchers to pitch in postseason games. So I, that's the only thing I see is happening. No, no, no offense to Buster, but where where that's on the list of players wanting to get stuff that that's on the bottom of the list. No, it's the, not. It's, the, the, it's the not a matter of. Yeah, I misspoke. You don't want to deal with that in CBA, but yeah. I, I think what he's saying is, 
you have to have a meeting at some point about this. You have to have a serious sit down. I, I respectfully disagree. I, I don't. I don't like limiting the strategy available to managers in a game. That that's just me. I think there are other ways to speed up the game. I've said I don't think I don't think catchers and pitchers should be allowed. I don't think there should be any mound visits. Oh. If you want to set up communication between the catcher and pitcher, go ahead and do it. There shouldn't be mound visits. There just shouldn't be. Yeah. The only I, I think you got as much cross ups as we've seen. You you need Pitcher tough. and catcher. Oh, no, it's not tough. You, you, no, you, if you're you Kevin, call, Kevin, you never try to catch a ball. Big spots, you know, runner on Kevin. third base. You want to be on the same page. That that's well, that's, that's easy, Kevin. If, if you're if you're if you if there is an electronic communication system Man. between the catcher and pitcher, which is hey, that's no that's not any harder to do than an automated strike zone. It's not any harder to do at all. I mean, I'll give you. The, so I I'm just but I'm just saying as an example, if I'm the catcher. I go fastball, and you nod. Okay, well you're throwing a fastball. Most I don't the, have to worry the, around with signs or the, anything. Most of the conversation is not always about that pitch. It's the pitch. What if that pitch doesn't work? What are we throwing after that? What what if the what if the hitter doesn't you know go after that pitch? What 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 is it do you want to throw after? That's the conversation. Maybe but you, you can, maybe Kevin. you can say the umpire could be a little bit more assertive when he goes out there and doesn't stand there for fifteen thirty seconds. Waiting on the guys to finish their conversation, go out there and say, "Let's finish, let's clean this up. Let's go." Let's Kevin, go. Let's you go. don't let's you go. don't need to have that conversation. Absolutely, you do. No, let me finish. You don't need to have that conversation if I can talk to you after every pitch. You don't need to have that conversation if I'm behind the plate and I can say, "Okay, now we're going to go curve." Or and and the pitcher goes, "No, let's go fastball." You go, "Okay, we'll go fastball." You, you can still have those conversations. You're just not. You're not causing the game to be delayed so you can go out and talk and the second and third baseman can come in. You, You're almost you, talking about seconds here when it comes to mound visits. That, that for me, is not even close to the issue. It's the amount of pitchers that they see. And your first thing about them being able to use pitchers whenever they want to use them, well, they do that because that's the best option they have. And to go, to a, to, go to a team and say, you know, you can't use Max out of the bullpen because Max is a starter, yeah, teams no, like if you want to use them, at you. Well, if you want to use them, then you'll have to use them out of the bullpen a couple of times during right, good the season. Luck. Good luck selling Nothing that. wrong that, with that's, that. That's a, that's a real tough sale because that would tell you that those those teams have better talent throughout because they can actually use a Nathan Avaldi out of the bullpen after two days rest. They're still throwing a bazillion miles an hour. Most teams can't do that. Most teams don't have well, it's the only starting way, pitchers it, that can do that. It's the only way you're going to get around the pitching changes. It's the only way you're going to do it. You can't. You can't do it any other way. So you, there's not going to be a change. You're still going to see four hours and four minutes and four hours and fourteen minutes. Anyhow, James, it's uh, there's enough technology out there that that you can do that. And and I think ultimately there there something will have to change. Something will have a to lot change. of it too. But this time of the year, sorry, we'll we'll clean this. We'll end this here. A lot of this too is the quality of the pitching this time of the year is not real good. They're not real. You can go down the list of why these managers are using nine different pitchers. Like the best team, air quotes in baseball, the Dodgers, in one of the biggest games of the year, and had to use nine pitchers. That would tell you a lot of the times we're glossing over the obvious that's right in front of you. A lot of these pitchers aren't real good. So, uh, continuing on the conversation with Buster Olney, and uh, Chipper Jones will join us in the bottom of the hour. But continuing the conversation that we had that we had about Buster Olney, he's got an article 
on ESPN right now where he talks about the available free agent shortstops. And he has uh, he has done a poll, done a survey, essentially. He's asked 11 talent evaluators to rank the five elite shortstops that are available this year. And, you know, Buster's been around the game. Tr- trust me, the talent evaluators he's talking to are going to be general managers or directors of scouting. They're going to be guys who generally know what the hell they're talking about. So we talked to 11 of them. This was his, this was their ranking. Okay. Keep in mind, this was the ranking of 11 different talent evaluators. Number one was Corey Seager. Number two was Carlos Correa. Number three was Marcus Semien. Number four was Trevor Story, and number five was Javier Baez. Now, Kevin, from a distance, that the the only question I would have there would be Correa or Seager. And I guess it it depends on what you're looking for. A couple of things. Corey Seager's only 27. For some reason, there seems to be an idea out there that Corey Seag, Seager's 35. He's <laughs> 27 years old. The biggest concern with both of these two guys, as Buster says the evaluators have pointed out, is health. Both of these guys, Seeger and Correa, have missed time. Correa is a bigger dude. He's not a short short guy. He's a bigger dude. And that's one of Marcus Semyon's biggest selling points, Kevin, is... He is, well, he's an everyday guy. He has been an everyday guy. He's generally healthy. We, we've, we've talked about how the impression he made on the Blue Jays with, with his work ethic and, and things of that nature. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of the people that, that Buster talked to said that they think there's going to be so much uncertainty about Marcus Semyon because he, he, he is a guy that literally every team in baseball that wants a shortstop could look at because he's probably not going to want eight years. He's, he's not going to demand what a 27-year-old shortstop is going to get. He, I mean, he's two years. Trevor Story's 29. That's another thing I'm shaking my head at. So it's interesting. Buster thinks the market for, for, for Marcus Semyon is going to be really big. Plus, of course, the fact that he's played second base. He's listed the Blue Jays, Mariners, Rangers, Tigers, and Giants as teams that might be interested Ooh. in him. I don't know about you, but to me, Marcus Semyon screams San Francisco Giants, does he not? I think he screams Blue Jays first and foremost. He'd be a perfect fit to stay here. Uh, the age scares me, him playing shortstop. Do you really want to give him uh, – we'll ballpark it. Five years at $125 million at that 31 years old. How would that look playing shortstop? I – we all know the the person that he is, how good he takes care of himself, but he is 31 years old and dumping that much money and that kind of guy. I I, I sort of like him on teams playing second. Yeah, you, you don't have to move around as much. You don't have to crow hop to get it to, to first base playing second like you do at shortstop footwork. All the things that go into being an everyday shortstop, he's a great player. And he'll, he'll, he would figure it out, but you would get a bunch of guys in a room thinking about who you're going to sign is is he the guy you want to give five years at 31 years old playing shortstop, giving $125 million to? He might be cheaper. Well, he will be cheaper than Seager and Correa. I'll give you that. The health issues with those two guys scare me. Baez, 
it has to be the right fit. The, the team that he comes to has to have, for me, a veteran guy, like a guy that can stand up in the room and go, we don't do the thumbs down thing here. I don't care how talented you are. Stay quiet. They, so that that fit has to be a special fit. That's just me. That's me talking, me looking from afar, me watching him play, those kind of things. And Story's coming off a bad year. He might be the cheapest out of all of them. Do, do you feel comfortable with Trevor Story playing shortstop at 29 years old, coming off a bad year, and, and to boot a bad year in Colorado? He is a good the, – the, the one thing about Trevor's story is if you look at these four shortstops, as an athlete, he might be the best – the best pure athlete out of the group. But Buster points out, this is something we, we heard people talk about a little bit this year around the trade deadline, right? There was a concern as the season went on about an elbow injury that Trevor Story suffered. I want to think, I, I want to say it was in May. And the arm strength and velocity dropped off noticeably as a result of that. And I would think if you were looking to commit, like if you're going to sign Trevor Story, you want to win this year. You know, I don't think you sign Trevor Story and say, boy, he's you know, the long-term, long-term proposition. If you're going to sign Trevor Story, you're signing him because you think he gives you a chance at winning this year. He's an upgrade. Do I want to take a chance on a guy who's got an elbow issue at shortstop? Because I don't want, you know what? I don't want to waste half a year having him on the IL because the elbow's sore. Or I don't want to sign him as a shortstop and go, God damn, you know, that, that arm's not what I thought it would be. Now I got to move him to second base. I, I don't necessarily want to do that with Trevor's story. That's why I, man, I would stay away from Trevor's story. Trevor's story would be the last guy in this list I'd go to. Yeah, maybe again. It depends on where you're at as an organization. You know, you, you mentioned the Tigers and Correa. Not real sure that the Tigers are ready to win next year. So that that I, I think it's the building block. The 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 been there and done it before. Trevor Story hasn't really been there and done it before. He's been on some decent teams. He's had some good years. It's been in Colorado. There there's that stigma around that. Mm-hmm. Can he can that carry over from other bigger ballparks? Is he does he have a, a good enough st- swing to stay in the big part of the field when he's not hitting homers? Can he still be productive offensively? Uh, there's there's the, there's benefit in all of these shortstops. Do do you want to pay three hundred million for Corey Seager? And yeah, yes or no to these, Jeff. Do you want to pay three hundred million for Corey Seager? I I will say this: if I was the Yankees, I probably would. He's a left-handed hitter. You know he plays in a big market. You know he's not going to be overawed by by being in New York. If I'm the Yankees, I might give him that money. I don't know if if it's me, if I'm the Blue Jays, no, I'm not giving him that money. Uh, If I have to make a choice between him and Carlos Correa, I'm going with Carlos Correa. But I can see see a team like the Yankees. Brian Cashman talked yesterday about, look, we need to do something at shortstop. The Glaber Torres can't be our everyday shortstop. All right. Well, that's essentially saying to people that we are going to sign one of the free agent shortstops out there. And if I'm the Yankees, uh, Corey Seager, to me, profiles perfectly. Yeah, He, if you're, he, pro- he profiles perfectly. Think about and the, I don't know if I want anything to do with Carlos Correa. I understand the sign-stealing thing. There may be only one. Now, there'll be two markets he can't sign with as a result of that. To me, one is L.A. and the other are the Yankees. 
I don't know how you feel about it, but that's the way I view it. Yeah, I guess. I, it's all about winning. You think you can win with a guy playing shortstop? For me, it's about health. Do you think either one of those guys can play 140-plus games a year? for Because the, they're going to be asking for eight to ten years. How, how is it Corey Seager or Carlos Correa with one with back issues and, and Corey, Corey Seager with a lot of issues health-wise? Do you well, feel comfortable about too? him playing 140-plus games five years, four years from now? I don't know four or five years from now, but next year, yes. And the other thing with Corey Seager going to the American League, and I think you know where I'm going with this, I, ultimately I think the DH will be in, in the game, both the American League and now. A lot of people don't – a lot of hitters don't know how to do that, pr- pr- productive-wise, uh, routine-wise. Well, I, I, I know, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, if you want to keep his bad in the lineup, there is a way to do that. If you want to monitor his health, there is a way to do that. But your your point is well made. I'm not taking anything away from it. Mm-hmm. Both of the top two guys carry an injury risk. Now, and the, and the question I guess you have to ask yourself is, okay, these guys have been hurt, but they're both only 27. So you have to do a risk analysis. What are the odds? Even if one of them suffers a serious injury and has to miss half a year or or whatever, well, you're still you're still getting a guy who should be productive, should be productive into his, into his early, into his early thirties. So if I have to commit seven or eight years to a guy who's 27 years old, I might be willing to do it, but this gets back to Marcus Semyon. And this is why I think it's going to be really hard for the Jays to sign him. Marcus Semyon's 31. And I think a lot of teams are going to say, man, if I can get Marcus Semyon for five years and I've only got to worry about the one, the last year of that contract, or I'm going to have two guys, I'm going to give eight years to two guys who are hurt a lot. Yeah, I, I just, and I know Marcus Semyon can play second base and be productive. The, the thing I don't know about Marcus Semyon, Kevin, is do you buy into the power with him? Do you buy into the power with him? Is, is what we saw this year repeatable for Marcus Semyon? I, I think if he's in the right lineup, he has the right people around him where they have to throw him stuff that is straight you can't throw him oh breaking balls. You can't throw him a breaking ball and a fastball count because Vladdy's on the on deck circle. George Springer's hitting in front of him. Bo Bichette's hitting cleanup. The other teams, you know, he goes to a lesser team who don't have as strong a lineup. People around him, you can make him chase. You can throw him pitches and odd counts that you normally wouldn't throw him this year. That would be a little worrisome. Do you think he can hit forty home runs for the next three years? Absolutely not. I don't. But I do think he can be a thirty guy. I mm-hmm. think he'll play Good every point. single day. He's going to play great defense for you. He's a lunch pail guy. He'll lead by example. He's good for your. There's. And to me, just thinking about these five guys that, you know, and, and the and the one X factor for me is bias. Yeah, bias for me is a rally killer. Sometimes he strikes base, out too much, Kevin. Ba- baseball line, IQ he too. too. He's much. a rally killer. Ba- baseball IQ comes into play. He thinks he can outrun the baseball. He's a better player than everybody else on the planet. And quite frankly, he's not. Now he's talented and he has fast twitch muscles more than most humans do. But it's that you know, it's the base to base thing. Do you really think he can do that? And actually getting on base, that's another thing. The talent defensively, he can play second, he can play short. You, I guess in a pinch he could play third. He could do that at elite levels. It's just the baseball IQ on good teams killing rallies. Do you want to drop a $250 million on a guy like that? That's the question. Yeah, there's a lot of swing and miss in his game and he can be he can be frustrating too. If I, if I'm going to give somebody if I'm going to give somebody an eight-year contract, Kevin, I want consistency. Put it to you 
this way, Jeff. He he and can't be for me the leader of my team. No, agreed. Absolutely, absolutely agreed. He has to be. He has to be in the right environment, and he has to be a guy that joins a team that will be prepared for the fact that he's going to be a little streaky. You know what? He had 61 strikeouts in his last 43 games with the Cubs. The slash line was 234, 287, 448. Then he goes to the Mets and is 328, 401, 557. It, there's, there's, there's a streakiness to his game. There's a lack of consistency to his game that e- even at his relatively young age would give me, well, he's not relatively young, he's 29, would give me cause for concern. That's... Uh, what I value. That's why the George Springer contract doesn't bother me because if he's healthy, I'm relatively confident as to what I'm going to receive from George Springer. He's going to be pretty consistent health. You can never, I mean, you can never factor that in. How did George Springer get hurt this year? Well, there was the issue, you know, running the base, but there also, he, he, he ran into a wall and landed awkwardly. That, that could happen to anybody. So I don't know if you can necessarily figure you, you can't allow for the possibility that a guy might get hurt, but, boy, Kevin, you can look at consistency and say, when the guy's healthy, mm-hmm. what is he going to give me? And, and that, to me, is the separator between all these other guys. Yeah. Like, when healthy, I know what Marcus Samian's going to give me. When healthy, I know what Corey Seager's going to give me. When healthy, I know what Carlos is going to give me. When healthy, I kind of know what Trevor Story's going to give me. I just don't know with Javier Baez. They're sort of full package there. It's when they're on young teams, they can bring it all. They can bring leadership. They can stand up in the room, talk that way, and that leadership, lead by example on the field. They're doing all the things that you want to, want them to do. Is Javi Baez the guy that you want? And let's say the, the Blue Jays. He's a great talent. But yep. that's really what you want on your field. That's something that you you would ask Charlie right now to have to control, to to you know put point. reins on. I, it just doesn't make a ton of sense for me. I know the talents there. I'm not arguing the talent. It's just everything else that comes with it. And that's why even for me for the for the Mets when he goes to the Mets, they they would ask him to be a leader of that team. Really. That's why, for me, it's just not going to work out there. It, it'll be some other team that has veterans already who are leaders already where they, they're okay with him coming and, and running until he gets tagged out like they do in Little League occasionally. <laughs> Chipper Jones is Atlanta Braves hitting consultant. He is, of course, a baseball Hall of Famer, went in in 2018, a terrific hitter, best switch hitter I've seen. I think it's safe to say. Chipper Jones joins us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Eight o'clock tonight will be the time of game four of the National League Championship Series between the L.A. Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves from Dodgers. Stadium, the Braves leading the series two games to one despite losing last night. And um, that game can be heard on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and of course seen on Sportsnet. Uh, difficult loss for the Braves. I, watching that game, I thought everything was going oh, they had swimmingly. It. I, with you, Bark, I, I thought they had it. I was 
you know, looking back at history and I knew that the Braves had lost 10 of 11 in Dodger Stadium and I was thinking, man, to win this game, to beat Walker Bueller, to to really to, to kind of force to kind of force Dave Roberts onto the back under the back foot right away. I was like, man, this is this is that game that removes all the doubt about the Atlanta Braves. Never mind how many games they've lost in L.A. Never mind last year's you know, blowing the three one lead. This was going to be the game. The Do- the Braves win this and then probably sweep the Dodgers and away we go. The Braves rest and wait up to see who's going to or wait around to see who's going to sounds easy between the, the Astros and Red Sox. Sounds easy. Didn't work out that way. Obviously didn't work out that way. Uh, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Kenley Jansen took care of the Braves. The Dodgers win the game. The series is now two games to one going into the fourth game tonight. And Julio Arias is pitching for the Dodgers. His fourth appearance in 11 days, which still leads me to (laughs) shake my head. When I think of the Atlanta Braves, I think of two things. You know, someone who covered the Braves as a national baseball writer in the late 80s and 90s. One, I think of pitching, 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 pitching. The other, I think of our next guest, Chipper Jones. He's the Atlanta Braves hitting consultant. He is, of course, a Hall of Famer. And uh, I can call him an Atlanta Braves legend. Chipper Jones joins us in Blair and Barker. Chipper, thank you so much for doing this. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, thanks, Chipper, for coming on. Look, I was gonna before we get into your coaching part of it. uh, I don't know if you were listening to Jeff and all those stats about the the Braves going in to face the Dodgers and they're having issues winning games there. Uh, Well, my first question would be, why why do you think that is, and what can they do to get past that? (laughs) Well, the Dodgers have got a pretty good ball club. Case uh, you know nobody was nobody was watching. They they they've been pretty good for a few years now and uh it's a tough place to go in there and play especially uh at night you know it's uh, you played there before it's heavy air it's you know it's hard to hit a ball out of there and you know it's a it's a rough crowd um uh, just a, a great atmosphere so you know it's just kind of a, a perfect storm of uh, a really good club out there and and a tough place to play uh at some point the Atlanta Braves are going to have to exercise some demons and get over the hump. And I think once, you know, John Smoltz says it the best when, when talking about these bullpen games and, you know, throwing openers and, and whatnot, he says, the more times you open that bullpen door during the course of a nine inning game, uh, the more chance you have for somebody not to have it. And unfortunately for the Braves yesterday, it was, uh, you know, it was Luke Jackson. And, and t- in all honesty, um, you know, the, the, the couple of bloopers, he, you know, a blooper and a C&I single to, to kind of get the inning started. And then, you know, a good piece of hitting by, by Bellinger to, you know, that ball is 96, 97 up around the chest. And he got on top of it and drove it out of the ballpark. It's unfortunate. It's an opportunity missed for the Atlanta Braves. Um, but uh, I think they've proven to themselves that uh, hey, we're we're at least on par with these guys at this point in the season, and and we got a chance to win every single game. Chipper, we had uh, Sean Casey on a little earlier, and I was talking to Case about what it must be like for hitters in the postseason with all these pitching changes, all these different arms coming in. 
you know, you can go through and you, you can have seven consecutive at bats where you don't see the same arm. <laughs> you know, you see somebody mm. different, somebody new, somebody's throwing a hundred or whatever. As a hitter, how would you approach that? Yeah, it, it's difficult. Um, you give me two, three, four looks at somebody, uh, the, the scales tip more in my favor the more I see him. Uh, when you're only out there facing a guy, you know, one time you have, you know, probably a limited uh, history with that person, um, you know, so the, the scale is tipped in his favor. So from a managing and a pitching standpoint, it kind of makes some sense to do it. Uh, I just, you know, I, I have a, I really have a problem with, um, starting a seven game series with a bullpen game where you basically show the other team, every single pitcher uh, that you have in the bullpen in the very first game, you know, there are no secrets now. And, and uh, very little secrets with either one of these teams with the history that they've had over the last couple of years, but it just didn't make a lot of sense. You got, you know, Max Scherzer's a horse. Uh, Urias is a horse. Those guys, you want them going, six, seven, eight innings to, to help give your bullpen some rest. And I just don't, I didn't understand. I know what he, I know what Dave Roberts is trying to do, maybe trying to get Urias and Scherzer in, in four or five games, three or four or five games in this series, as opposed to one or two. Um, but man, these guys just aren't used to doing it, you know, especially in the case of Scherzer, you know, he's, he's been a horse for a long time. Urias is young and probably starting the bullpen, so he could probably handle it. It's just uh, a lot of curious moves in this in this series so far. How do you think Bobby Cox and uh, Leo Mazzoni would have handled it? <laughs> uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby's probably throwing stuff at the TV, um, you know, <laughs> from his from his farm and and uh, uh, here in Georgia. And Leo's probably rocking rocking himself to sleep you know just saying <laughs> man I can't, how much the game has changed though just in the last 10 years what, what's most impressive about freddie freeman at the plate uh he he's he's meticulous uh to a fault uh he he's just uh extremely consistent every single day with his routine um, you know, Freddie's always been kind of a, a streaky guy, you know, the, the, uh, ebbs and flows and the, the peaks and valleys, there's, there's some, there's some separation between the two. And we've been trying to, to smooth those out as much as we can, but, uh, ultimately, you know, no matter the, the ebbs and flows or the peaks and valleys at the end of the season, you still got the same guy that's going to go out there and hit 300 and hit 30 and drive in a hundred and score a hundred and, and more importantly, uh, lead by example, go out there every single day, you know, and, and no matter whether he's sitting in a, in a spell where he's sitting 200 or in a spell where he's sitting 400, he's the same guy every single day. And that kind of consistency is, uh, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a proud papa watching that. Cause, uh, that's what I tried to teach him uh, his first three years in the league. What have you been able to teach Austin Riley? Because whatever it is, is sure working. <laughs> well, um, you know, we haven't really changed anything mechanically with Austin. It was more or less a mindset. We just we changed his sight, uh, to be honest with you. We changed him from kind of looking left field, left center, to 
right center, and now all of a sudden he's able to see the ball longer. He's able to maybe lay off some of those sliders that are just off the plate that he's swung and missed uh, at you know over the past couple of years, and and all of a sudden you're starting to see more balls in play, uh, more damage, more walks and less strikeouts, and, uh, you know, he's thrust himself right up into the middle of the MVP race. Probably won't win it uh, this year, but certainly uh, for somebody who didn't know who Austin Riley was uh, before this year, you know now. Chipper, is, is your job different when it comes to dealing with rookies, young players, opposed to how you deal with veteran guys? Yeah, it's different. Um w- w- Veteran guys have their routines. Um, they, they, you, you don't say much to them unless they say something to you. I think the best part of being a hitting coach is your ability to shut the hell up and just watch and listen, you know, and, and take it all in and realize what makes those veterans work. And when they get in trouble, uh, what are some of the bad habits that they get into? I think the, the biggest thing – with young guys is to, you know, most of them are scared to death first time they come up and talk to you. But I think just breaking the ice yourself and going up and saying, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's get in the cage. Let's talk a little bit. Let me, let me know what you're thinking. Kind of, I want to know what kind of hitter you are, because that is the first thing I always ask hitters when I, when I'm, when I talk to them, Uh, I want to know what kind of hitter you are. Do you want to stand on the plate? and yank 30 times a year and hit 220? Or do you want to hit from foul pole to foul pole, uh, be a complete hitter, maybe with a little less power, but a tougher out? And, uh, you know, because if you want to stand on the plate and yank 30 times, me trying to get you to be a foul pole to foul pole hitter, it's going in one ear and out the other, and I don't want to waste my time. So I want to get on the same page with these young guys and make sure they that, that – uh, you know, we cover all the bases, and, and they're receptive to what you're talking about. Chipper, in addition to age, does it help that so many of the Braves hitters are homegrown? I mean, they're Braves guys, so they may have he- heard the same voices coming up through the minors, same voices when they get to the majors. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a change in approach when you get to the majors, but does that help what you have to do as well? I think it helps from a uh, uh, organizational, philosophical, you know, kind of point that 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 these guys, you know, were born into this organization, you know, grew up in this organization, um, experience, you know, everything that, uh, um, you know, all the 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 really good teams and, and championships they play for in the minors, and then watching you know, the guys at the big league level do their thing. You know, um, I can only speak from personal experience. I know when I was coming up through the minors, when I got there, I did not want to be the weak weak link, you know, because I knew we were going to be, you know, in the mix every single year. And the Braves are in that same situation currently. And I know that those guys coming up, don't want to be the weak link. Having spent some time with the Albies and the Swansons and the, you know, even the, the, the Freemans and the Acunas, um, uh, it, it, these guys want to provide instant impact and be the one guy who, you know, gets them over the hump. And, uh, you know, 
right now that hump is the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you're, you're starting to see what you know some of that homegrown talent um, is, is starting to turn into. And and I think once they get over this Dodger hump, hopefully it'll be this year. Uh, man, the sky's the limit for this ball club because you know, <laughs> hate to tell y'all, but next year, you know guy named Soroka and a guy named Acuna are going to be healthy and this team's going to be even better. Chipper, when you're sitting in the stands watching a game and, and how, what's the conversations like with the people around you? Is, is it tough? Are you invested? Do you just sort of try and eliminate that and have fun watching the game? How's that going? It depends on who's sitting next to me. <laughs> if it's, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a buddy, um, obviously we'll, we'll sit there and shoot the breeze. If it's the family, you know, uh, yeah, I got seven kids. So, you know, have, having them, you know, running around the ballparks, like, you know, kind of herding cats. But, uh, you know, I think when it, when it's just me, uh, I'm invested, man. I'm, I'm there from, you know, during home games, I'm there from, you know, one thirty, two o'clock till, you know, seven o'clock down there in the cage and I'm working with these guys and I know what they're thinking and I know what they're working on. And, and, you know, just to, to be able to sit there and, and watch, you know, let's say a, a Riley kind of apply something that we worked on that day and hit a ball in the gap and get the second and clap his hands. Like, yeah, I got it. You know, <laughs> I, I got it. Feel it, you know, and, and it's just extremely gratifying. I grew up with a, a baseball coach, a, a high school math teacher, and and he always told me that when a kid just gets it or the light comes on, there's nothing more fulfilling, and I've experienced that this year. Okay, any chance well, to listen to you talk? You sound like you you are a manager in the making. I, any chance you want to be that down the road? <laughs> you you didn't you didn't hear me when I said part time. I'm only here <laughs> yeah. for home games. <laughs> having to put that uniform on and uh and go through the the major league lifestyle is something that is not very attractive to me i have seven kids here at home i'm happy with with home life you know the the, the job that i have now allows me to stick my my foot in the door keep my foot in the door a little bit but uh still you know be able to experience all the baseball games and school and you know uh kid interactions that i so desperately want so um yeah it's it's not something that's on the table at this point chipper last question before we let you scoot and we do appreciate your time yeah what's it like working for alex anthopoulos and how would you compare him to other other executives you've been around it's a little different. Um, he's, he's, and I mean that in a good way, you know, he's, he's not John Sherholz. John Sherholz, very close to the vest, very stoic, you know, it's, you need a crowbar to try and pry stuff, you know, out of him uh, when I worked for him. But, um, you know, Alex is, is very forthcoming. He's obviously um, all in, in the analytical side of things. So he's taught me a ton as far as that goes. Uh, very open. I mean, he's an open book. He calls me, you know, all the time, uh, you know, especially uh, when it comes to how to handle players, you know, how to, how to approach a player with a, a specific problem or, you know, contract or, or whatever, you know, so it's been fun to uh, kind of see, get the inner workings of how, you know, the GM business works. Now that would be something I wouldn't mind, mm. you know, 
sticking my foot in. I don't know if I would want to be the, the, the GM out in front that had to sit there and talk uh, to the media all the time, but man, the assistant GM now that's something we could probably talk about, you yeah. know, uh, that I, that I might, uh, you know, get excited about, but that, I'm sure that's, you know, a pretty good ways down the road as well. Hey Chipper, listen, I know it's a busy time for you. Hell, you got seven kids. Yeah. Every day is a busy time for you, but uh, we really appreciate you joining us. We appreciate your insight and uh, stay safe and be well, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. You're the best Chipper. Thanks. My pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. Y'all be good. Take care. That is Chipper Jones, Atlanta Braves hitting consultant and possibly future assistant GM. Um, interesting hearing him talk about about Alex and being open about the the impact of analytics and all that. And, and Kevin, I don't know about you, but when I heard Chipper talk, I was I closed my eyes and I thought, man, this sounds a little bit like what Alex did with Pat Hankin when he was here. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the the troubleshooter, right? The guy you can go to the guy you can trust, the guy you can bounce stuff off of, mm-hmm. the guy you can just call and say, hey, you know what? I'm, we're dealing with player X right now. What do you think? And and just get the get the opinion of a guy who was part of a really good clubhouse. The, the, the thing about those Braves teams with Chipper and Glavin and Smoltz and Maddox was – they were so maybe even more than the Yankees, Kevin. They were such a professional group. You know, you would go into that clubhouse. I'll, I'll tell you a very quick, very very quick story. John Rocker was a closer, obviously for the Atlanta Braves, and he'd been quoted in an article in USA Today about Vladimir Guerrero Sr. And I didn't think he'd. He basically said that. You know, he 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 thought he knew how to get Vladimir Guerrero Sr. out. I mean, it wasn't like it, it was it was John Rocker. Now, maybe it was because of John Rocker's reputation that uh, that it landed. You know, people took it in a way they shouldn't have. Anyhow, of course, you're in Montreal. Vladdy hits Vladdy Sr. hits a bomb off of John Rocker late in the game so of course all the writers now there was a small writing corps in atlanta at the time but there were a couple of national guys there the montreal writers who want to talk to john rocker about it at the end of the game john rocker is on an exercise bike in the middle of the clubhouse and he's riding and riding and riding and not going anywhere of course but he's riding and riding and riding and he's so we're waiting for him and waiting for him guys are coming in guys are going and I always remember Greg, Ma- Greg Maddox come, came up to, uh, to one of the Atlanta writers. It might have been Bill Zach at the time, one of the veteran Atlanta writers, and said, uh, you guys still doing here? And he said, oh, we're waiting for Rocker. And Maddox said, really? So Maddox walks over to John Rocker, unplugs the bike, and in the middle of the clubhouse says, you owe it to us to answer the question so these guys can get the hell out of here as soon as possible. And Rocker looked at him and said, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Went and answered the questions. I've never forgotten that. That clubhouse was, those guys ran the clubhouse. And you would go in there, and it was, again, it was the most professional environment I've been around, and that includes those Yankees teams. You went in, you did your job, 
they were really, really smart guys. There was a really good sense. And I've always thought, Kevin, that part of that comes from the fact that all those guys came up together for the most part, right? Now, I know Smoltz was added in a trade, but all those guys came up together. Yeah, for and me. I think that counts for something, man. Yeah, for me, winning's a habit. And and that's what you're trying to, to form is the habit and having people like Chipper Jones around and Alex Anthopoulos can go to Chipper and go, hey, you know, I'm trying to do this. I want to do this. You'd have a better conversation with this player than I would. He respects you. He'll listen to you a little bit more than he'll listen to me. Would you give that a chance? And just having Chipper going, okay, yeah, I think there's something to that. I'll be willing to do that is second to none for me. And, and that's that's one of the main reasons why the Braves organization as a whole is just used to winning. And and I think we as fans on the outside should get used to to picking the Braves to go further in, in the playoffs than we than we have in the past just because it's a winning pedigree. It's a, it's it's a habit there to win games over and over and over again. And just listen to the chipper talk about the Braves and, and what they do off the field to even get Freddie Freeman locked in, basically saying he thinks too much. That that's what it's all about is, yeah, a guy is really good at hitting, but he thinks too much, and we're trying to get him away from that is, you know, that that's that's ultimately why their organization is as good as it is and their players are as good as they are. And and there's a reason why he mentioned Acuna and, and the pitcher mm-hmm. and coming back next year that that means, you know, they're good this year. But wait until next year and the year after that and the year after that. It's, you know, the, the, the Braves are really good. And I don't know about you, but when I heard him talking about young guys learning experiences together in the minors coming up, not wanting to be the weak, weak link in a team that needed to contend. I don't know about you, but I was thinking a little bit about the Blue Jays when I heard him talk about that. And that's kind of the, the sense the Blue Jays want. When they bring Gabriel Marino up, they want Gabriel Marino to come up here thinking, I, I'm up here, one, because I'm good, but two, I'm up here because I got to help these guys beat the I got to help these guys beat the the Rays. I got to help them beat the Red Sox. I got to help them beat the Yankees. To me, if you're looking at an organization, you want the Blue Jays to quote unquote follow. That organization would be the Atlanta Braves. That is it for us today. We will be back tomorrow, same time, 10 to 12. You can catch us on podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You've been listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.